Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. Did they score enough runs for you? It's the Cincinnati Reds 11, the Cleveland Guardians 7. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, that thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we don't have many of these left this season, so we got to enjoy them while they're here. Even if we are dangerously close to losing the Ohio Cup, the coveted, coveted trophy between Cleveland and Cincinnati. All right, let's get into the storylines of this game. The The emailers want to expand beyond this game, and I don't blame them because at, at this point in the season, the, the games don't matter, right? Not for us. For Cincinnati, they're fighting for a playoff position. For us, we're literally just getting to the end of this season. Uh and, you know, <laughs> trying to stay healthy, but it's not its not working. Both Gabriel Arias and Andres Jimenez leave this game with injuries. Uh, Arias got hit in the hand, right? And then Andres Jimenez fouled one off his own knee. Both of them are probably going to be okay. Uh, you know, uh, that's what they're saying. But uh, you never know. You never know with these things. So hopefully they're fine. Uh, we, we honestly, we might not see Gabriel Arias... Uh, for the rest of the season. This this might have been his final game. And uh, with, with Jimenez, it's actually kind of a shame because he's been having a really good September. Uh, he's kind of turned it on. He's got the batting average and the OPS up to respectable numbers for today's Major League Baseball. 254 batting average, a 720 OPS. Uh, his his StatCast percentile rankings are, are are kind of ridiculous. Uh, for most offensive categories, I mean, he is towards the bottom of baseball. Exit velocity first, hard hit percentage third, chase percentage fourth, barrel percentage twenty second, expected slugging eighteenth. Like this isn't good. You don't want to be down in these low numbers. And we know the kind of hitter Andres Jimenez can be. But uh, the month of September has to be uh, pretty encouraging for you here. Uh, for the month of September, he is hitting 356 with a 923 OPS. So clearly, whatever funk he has been in all summer, the highest OPS he had gotten all summer was in June at 727. And now he's got it up to a 923. So... Something was clicking this month. I don't know. Uh, it was there. He had uh, eight extra base hits this month. Uh, had eight stolen bases. Was was really cooking out there. And so it's a shame to see his month end early. But at least it's something encouraging heading into next season. Where I think we can all agree that this season was a step back for Andres Jimenez. But uh, encouraging to see this heading into next season because once again, you're going to be counting on Andres Jimenez to be a major factor offensively uh, in this lineup. And so, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that is locked in there for next year. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully this, I mean, no one's going to keep this pace up. This is like an MVP pace in September. We don't expect that, but uh to have an 800-plus OPS, yeah. I think that's not unreasonable for Andres Jimenez to uh, get back to that. What was he last year? Yeah, last year he hit 297 with an 837 OPS. 
Now, he also has uh, about 50 more plate appearances this year. Uh, so he, uh, you know, played more games, played the played the whole season up here. So, uh, I, you know, I don't I don't think that affects really the outcome of the numbers. Clearly, he's he's struggled all season pretty evenly, but uh, yeah, just just pointing out that he's still a very very young player, and this is the first time he's crossed that 600 plate appearance threshold. So, at 25 years old, Andres Jimenez is still developing. So be patient. But Andres Jimenez leads us into the great conversation about this game, which is, my God, did they hit enough home runs? I, it, it's only fitting on the final homestand that they give out this many souvenirs at Progressive Field because the ball was flying, and it wasn't a particularly warm night in Cleveland or anything like that, but you had two pitchers, Hunter Green and Lucas Giolito, who were just leaving the ball over the middle of the plate. I mean, my God. Giolito only lasts three and a third, gives up three home runs himself. Hunter Green only goes three innings. He gives up three home runs himself. And just some ugly... I took... It took him 90... Giolito took him 98 pitches to get through three and a third because he also had five walks on top of the three home... All right, let's just do the full line. Three and a third innings pitched, four hits. That's it, four hits. Three of them were home runs. Five earned runs, five walks, five strikeouts. Was only hard hit four times on 98 pitches, but three of them were home runs. And uh, for Hunter Green, it's three innings pitched, eight hits, seven earned runs, one walk, only three strikeouts, three home runs. On only 70 pitches, he was hard hit six times. So let's go over to Illustrator here. Let's take a look at these home runs. Uh, the first one that Hunter Green gives up was to Bo Naylor. A monster three-run home run on a full count in the second inning. And basically, he throws him a slider that slides right back into the heart of the plate. Right back into the middle. Just slightly middle away. But still a ball that breaks right back into his barrel. And it leaps off the bat at 100.4 miles per hour. 33 degree launch angle. Uh, An absolute monster shot. Uh, Let's get the the full details on this home run here. Because it was nice to see from Bo Naylor. 375 feet. 30 out of 30 ballparks. Uh, So yeah. So it was nice to see uh, from Bo Naylor. He's really developing into a special kind of hitter, it feels like. Doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like we finally, finally found the guy? Like, everything we've gone through with the catching position over the last few years, I mean, Bo Naylor really might be worth the wait. Again, very young, first season. Who knows the kind of hitter? You know, we saw the kind of the development that Josh Naylor went through to become the kind of hitter he is now. After a couple of major league seasons. And Bo's already starting to figure it out in his rookie year, which is impressive. Um, Andres, uh, for next up was Cole Calhoun. Uh, he has a two run home run. He jumps on a, a fastball, a, a 98, well, 97.9. All right. We'll be accurate. We are on StatCast. 97.9 mile per hour fastball, right down the heart of the play from Hunter Green on a 2-2 count. And he, I mean, he they, they talked about it on the broadcast. He kind of lets the bat do the work, right? I mean, he just put a nice, 
a nice swing. He had a good swing plane, is what I'm trying to say. Put a nice swing on it, but he, you know, he got his launch angle right. He got his exit velocity, got his launch angle, hits it 99.4 miles per hour. Uh, but yeah, absolutely cranks it out to right center field, and Hunter Green put it right down the middle for him. And then back to back home runs. Andres Jimenez lifts one. He gets a one two slider that is pretty much in the same location Bo Naylor says. It's middle, slightly middle away, and it slides back into the sweet spot. And Andres Jimenez hits this thing at 106.4 miles per hour at a 30 degree launch angle. Wow. Was that the hardest hit ball of the day? No. Oh, God, no. It was not the hardest hit ball of the day. No. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz's home run, uh, his second home run, the one off Curry, which we're going to get to, he hit at 119.2 mile per hour exit velocity. 119.2. Oh, my God. You know, they talk about curveball. You know, you know, an off-speed pitch can speed up someone's bat, right? You know, uh, I I think that's what happened here. Uh, this curveball definitely sped up De La Cruz's bat, and he exploded this thing 467 feet. Wow. All right. Uh, we're talking about the Guardians' home runs first because the Guardians do all their scoring early in this game. Uh, Jimenez's was 419 feet. So, I look, it's it's not a uh, cheap home run here. 106.4 mile-per-hour exit velocity, 419 feet. 30 out of 30 ballparks. Calhoun's was 27 out of 30 ballparks. Okay. So the Guardians hit their home runs. And it's something, you know, we've been asking for all season. It's it's nice. It's nice to have a game with a bunch of home runs. It, it makes scoring easy. It makes the game kind of fun, doesn't it? Uh, not that the, the rallies, you know, where we put together five runs on all sorts of infield hits and crazy plays and, and finding gaps. I, I love those, too. I love those too, but they're a lot of work. And these home runs, uh, why can't we have both? Why, you know, every other major league baseball team, literally every other major league baseball team has both. Why have we sacrificed power so much on this team? But uh, unfortunately, the night where we go off and hit a bunch of home runs is the same night where our pitching staff decides to absolutely implode. And they give up. Five home runs to the Cincinnati Reds. And Giolito was doing us no favors in this one, giving up three, and they were all on changeups. They were all on hanging changeups. Uh some uh inside to right-handed hitters. Uh De La Cruz was the lefty who uh uh went across and got one. Uh, but they were all change-ups on the arm side of the plate for Giolito, and they were all up above the belt. Uh, Luke Maley's was right at the belt. It was middle in, and he turns on this thing. Only hit it at 92.3 miles per hour, but a 33-degree launch angle. In the left field, it just clears the railings there above the 19-foot wall. Uh, well, what was the... Uh, I wonder how many ballparks this would have been a home run in. 19 out of 30. Okay. It only had an expected batting average of 0.60 because of the exit velocity and the launch angle. Only had an expected batting average of 0.60, and it carries for a home run here. Um, then uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand gets an even higher uh, changeup, and he absolutely murders this one. 
Uh, it was another inside changeup to a right-handed hitter, and he hits it at 103.3 miles per hour. Um, 34-degree launch angle, 405 feet. This one was 30 out of 30 ballparks. So uh, hanging those uh, changeups there, and then De La Cruz hits uh, his first homer of the game at 108.3 miles per hour exit velocity. He, like we said, uh, reaches across and gets another middle, this time away changeup. Uh, and he uh, he hammers this thing 108.3, 420 feet, 28 out of 30 ballparks. So, I mean, if, if you're just flipping channels and trying to find a baseball game to entertain you, the first four innings of this, I don't even say the first five innings of this baseball game, were definitely that. Uh, things slow down. Things slow down. The Guardians' offense actually goes ice cold after uh, Josh Naylor is able to deliver a bases-loaded single in the fourth inning, which I thought was a great sign. Uh, they intentionally walk after Quan um, chops one at the plate with runners on first and second. Uh, it works like a sack bunt. It wasn't trying to be a sack bunt, but it works like a sack bunt. They intentionally walk Jose Ramirez. and I, I like this swing from Josh Naylor. He lines one into uh, left field, and uh, we bring across a run. It's nice to see him get a hit with runners in scoring position. Uh, he only had a hit it at 70.4. It doesn't take a lot to drop a single into the opposite field. And uh, unfortunately, Cole Calhoun would pop out to third base, and then Andres Jimenez would strike out with the bases loaded. So we do. We do waste kind of this opportunity here. It's nice to see us get one hit with runners in scoring position. But, yeah, everything kind of goes ice cold after that. And, of, of course, this is the point of the game where I finally get to sit down and actually watch for a little bit, you know, after dinner's done and all of that. And uh, suddenly, where'd the offense go? Uh, three straight ground outs in the uh, fifth inning. Uh, set them down one, two, three in the sixth inning. Set them down one, two, three in the seventh with a couple of strikeouts, including the strikeout that takes Andres Jimenez out of the game after he fouled it off his knee uh one two three in the eighth inning and then they finally get a base runner in the ninth a mile straw leadoff walk but a fly out a fly out and a ground up from Naylor and things so meanwhile they continue to pile on uh they add a home run in the um sixth inning uh tj friedel gets one off of i believe it was sandlin uh, leaves a splitter that just sits right in the middle of the plate, and that's just not going to work. I mean, you, you got to get that splitter down or at least keep it away from the uh, left-handed hitter. And instead, he lets that thing just sit middle of the plate. And uh, Friedel cranks it 103.4 miles per hour, more of a line drive home run at a 21-degree launch angle. And then the one Xavion Curry gives up to De La Cruz uh, late in the game. Uh, in the ninth inning, on a 1-1 count, he tries to throw him a curveball, and like we said, 119.2 miles per hour. It's, again, at the belt, it's middle in, and the lefty absolutely jumps on this one. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, Ellie De La Cruz has been struggling. I mean, they drop him down a seventh in the lineup from the last time we saw him where he was hitting at the top of the lineup, and he was, he was one of the, you know, Spark plugs of this Cincinnati season, and uh, I'm sure they still have high hopes for him, but he has definitely uh, 
you know, not finished as strong as he started to the season. And, you know, he's hitting seventh here. But, I mean, really, really, he's the MVP of the day on the Cincinnati side for sure. He goes three for five with three runs scored, two home runs, four RBIs. This has to be one of the hardest hit balls at 119 miles per hour. Has to be one of the hardest hit balls uh, of the entire season. At 119.2 mile per hour exit velocity, it puts it as the third hardest hit ball on the entire season in Major League Baseball. Only Ronald Acuna Jr. hit one harder at 121.2, and Giancarlo Stanton hit one at 119.5. So, wow, yeah. Uh, You know, I don't even know if technically it's... uh, Those were just those guys' max exit velocities, so... He's only the third person in baseball, we can say, that's maxed out uh, above 119 miles per hour. I I guess in theory, Acuna could have hit a couple at 120, 121, but this was his max. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, just an absolutely incredible shot here from De La Cruz. So, I mean, yeah, the Guardians bullpen, the Guardians pitching overall, um, was terrible, and the bullpen didn't do any favors to keep them in the game. I mean, the bullpen actually gives up the lead here uh, significantly. Everybody gives up runs. Eli Morgan gives up two unearned runs. James Karinchek gives up a run. Uh, Sandling gives up the solo home run, and Xavion Curry gives up two runs over his three innings of relief work. So, it, you know, at least there's that. Um, Meanwhile, the Reds bullpen apparently, I think this, they threw up the stat, the Reds bullpen has not given up a run to the Guardians yet this season in three games. That's pretty crazy uh, that their bullpen kind of locked us down like that. So, uh, I mean, the Reds are a team fighting for their playoff hopes, you know, futures, and they played like it tonight. Uh, unfortunately, the Guardians played like a team that... Uh, we're able to beat up on the starter Hunter Green, but they weren't really playing for anything, and they they kind of played like that too. Um, so it's disappointing. MVP on the day, I think I'm leaning towards Bo Naylor. It's it's difficult because they did steal a ton of bases off of him. Um, they stole Jesus Benson stole two off Giolito and Naylor. Uh, oh, and one off Curry and Naylor. Uh, India, India stole one off Eli Morgan and Naylor. Maley stole a base off Karinchek and Naylor. He did catch Fairchild stealing. So a crazy day on the bases uh, for the Reds. Not only with all the home runs, but all the stolen bases. I, I don't know how much of this is due to the pitcher's ability to hold the runner. Like, I don't know. Is Gilito terrible at holding runners? Uh, I know Karinchek is. Or how much of this is Bo Naylor's fault? But, I I mean, the home run from Bo was huge to kick off the scoring. And uh, he's on base twice. He he scores two runs. So, uh, when he catches, uh, who did he cut stealing? Fairchild stealing. It's an incredible throw. I mean, Fairchild is in there to pinch run for Votto, who had walked. And, I mean, he throws an absolute strike, an absolute missile to second base for the perfect tag, the perfect low throw. From Bo Naylor. Um, so I was impressed by that. So I, I don't know what happened on the rest of these stolen bases. But I'm giving Bo Naylor my MVP on the day. On a, a tough loss for the Cleveland Guardians. And I was I was looking a little bit more at Bo Naylor's stats and metrics. And basically, 
He's not been the best defensive catcher. Uh, blocks above average, he's in the 34th percentile. Uh, caught stealing above average, he's in the 32nd. Framing, he's okay, 74th percentile. Pop time, he's in the 70th percentile. Uh, it's difficult. When I dive into some of the catcher metrics, like as far as blocks above average go, so so whatever StatCast does to just give you a calculated total number uh, for how valuable that person is at blocking the ball, uh, he comes in pretty far down this list. Uh, Bo Naylor comes in at 35th uh, of all catchers in baseball. Uh, other catching uh, things, catching framing, uh, again, catching framing runs the value that they, again, just give you a number to try to value all this data together. Uh, Bo Naylor comes in at 16th in baseball, so not bad. Not too bad there uh, as far as pitch catcher framing goes. Uh, pop time, uh, let's see, towards the uh, second base, uh, his pop time... David Fry actually has better pop time than him. Uh, 19th, David Fry was 17th. Uh, gets off a, a hundredth of a second faster than Bo Naylor does. And uh, the catcher throwing metrics. Uh, catcher's caught stealing above average. Uh, so again, a number to make it all make sense. Uh, he comes in at... Let's see here, 43rd in all of baseball. So not too great at catching runner stealing, especially second base. Uh, and 38 steal attempts, he's only caught five runners, which is good for 13% caught stealing rate. Uh, not not great, not great. Um, so that's from runners at second base. Uh, so yeah, uh, Bo Naylor has not had the best defensive season there's there's a lot of room for growth there uh defensively but uh there's still there's so much promise with that bat i i he's he's young and athletic i i do think bo naylor could develop into an all-star level catcher I, i got a lot of faith in that guy all right, let's turn things over to the emailers because uh, I am running out of steam here at the end of the season. So save me, emailers. Remember, Bob at Highland Heights had emailed in about radical changes to the roster, and I, I kind of was like, I kind of said, Bob, I'm not so sure. I, I don't know if it's going to be as radical as you think it is. So he kind of broke it down for us a little bit. Uh, he says, "Kudos for always looking for the positives." He said, uh, in addition to the game recaps, I enjoy your insights into the macro aspects of our team. Here are my ideas for what a revamp roster would be if I were king. Uh, This is from Bob in Highland Heights. Most importantly, Quan would be the center fielder and two new bats would be on his left and right. So that's two changes. Brennan could be the fourth outfielder. Loriano seems to be a 220 hitter at best. Yeah, I don't know if Loriano. I agree with you, Bob. I don't know if Loriano is doing enough to to really stick around next season. Uh, so uh, he says a shortstop would be found who can hit over 250. I note Jimenez has revived his bat, and he at shortstop would open a spot at second base. Perhaps Freeman, who I think would hit over 250. Uh, why not try Rokio for this last week? Well, if if Arias is out for the last four games, it actually kind of makes sense to bring Rokio here for this final Detroit series. Why not uh, give them those at-bats? Um, 
him or Tana or Free. I'm free. There's still so many shortstops. So again, I I agree with you, Bomb. That they have to find an answer, a shortstop. But I, this answer has to come internally at this point. I mean, you we've got five candidates right there. Five candidates, if you include Jimenez in there for shortstop next year. I, I think Jimenez is probably going to stick at second base because he's just so good at it. Uh, could he be that good at shortstop? Probably. But uh, I don't know if any of those other guys can move to second base the way he did and the way Freeman could probably play it. Uh, he moved, He goes on. A partner would be found for Josh Naylor other than Cole Calhoun. Perhaps Manzardo, uh, the guy we got from Tampa Bay. A major league catcher would be found to pair with Bo Naylor. A quality bullpen arm would be added. Pay Lopez, maybe? So that would be six changes, perhaps two filled internally. Is that radical, he asks? He also adds uh, Sandlin, Morgan, and Karinchek say goodbye, and Matt Moore is gone? Why? Uh, it'll be interesting to see if anyone pays Giolito next year. Curry, he's not sure about. All right, so let's dive into this a little bit here. Yeah, I think the, the thing that makes it not seem that radical to me, Bob, is that a lot of these answers uh, are probably going to come internally. They probably should come internally, and they we probably want them to, right? We've been developing these hitters for so long. We've been, I mean, Valera in the outfield, right? Uh, I mean, does Oscar Gonzalez get another run at it? Although I do not have high hopes for that. It does feel like we made the wrong choice between Will Benson and uh, Oscar Gonzalez on that one. But Oscar Gonzalez had the big moments last year. So how could you not be interested in seeing that comeback? Um, the Selby's Godcast, if you listen to them, did a whole thing about regrets and and the they did their draft of the the moves they wished you could go back in time and fix. And they talked a lot about Will Benson. Um, yeah, that one. There's a lot of moves in the last year or two that are gonna sting, but they've done it all to try to figure out, you know, to try to figure out, give these outfielders a chance, to give these middle infielders a chance, and uh, they've got to develop them and they've got to make it work i still think gabriel arias with that exit velocity with that opposite field swing i still think he could be the shortstop he could be the guy but they've got to figure out a way to work on his discipline and his plate vision i mean he just there's way too much chase in him right now um so yeah, so manzardo is an internal fix to you know platoon with josh Naylor. i think that makes a hundred percent sense I think Cole Calhoun. It was it was it was fun here at the end, and he's hit some monster home runs. But it's probably the end of the road for Cole Calhoun. A major league catcher, yeah. I mean, David Fry. The, the question is, do they view David Fry as a catcher, as a legit catcher? Because uh, I I think he could pair with Josh, with Bo Naylor, and I think that actually works for me going into next year. If we get a full season of David Fry. And yes, the bullpen, the bullpens are interesting. They always bring in a lot of guys. I don't expect them to go out and sign anyone expensive. I expect them to do what they always do. And and look, it's worked. We've seen reclamation projects work. And the most recent, the one that comes to mind is De Los Santos. I mean, when they got in and when they got De Los Santos, he was nothing. He was he was he had a high K rate, but that was it. And he was struggling in the National League. They brought him over here. And they turned him into a really kind of reliable 
uh, back of the bullpen arm. And look, bullpens are extremely volatile. And this season is the perfect example of it, how guys can have such extreme ERAs from month to month. Um, yes, uh, keeping Lopez around sounds like a Ronaldo Lopez sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Uh, the hard thing with Sandlin and Morgan and Karinchek is those guys are came up in your system. And they're guys that you have easily under team control. And it's going to be really hard for them to walk away from them. I think Karinchek would be the easiest to walk away from. I think they still view Eli Morgan to be a potential weapon in the middle of games. And I think Sandlin, I was digging into Sandlin a little bit. And it's a bizarre season for him. Because he actually lowered, he he pitched uh, 14, so far 14 and point one more innings, 14 and a third more innings than he's pitched in his career so far um, in any season. He lowered his whip from 1.16 to 1.05. So that's a significant difference in his whip, and it's because he's added strikeouts. Uh, he's added 23 more strikeouts this season from 41 to 64. Uh, with keeping walks the same. In more innings, he has the same amount of walks as he had last season, 24. The problem for Sandlin is he has given up 12 home runs this season, and I do not even know if that includes tonight's. Uh, even StatCast sometimes doesn't update this stuff that fast. Uh, he gave up two home runs in his rookie season of 2021. He gave up two home runs in 44 innings last year. That's it, two home runs. This year, he's given up 12, possibly 13 home runs. That That is a problem. Uh, and, and you saw from the splitter he threw tonight, I mean, if he hangs things in the middle of the plate like that, they can launch him, even with his funky delivery. I do think, though, again, 26 years old, I do think Sandlin uh, is probably going to stick around, and he's probably going to be hot and cold for his entire career because that's just... That's just what relief pitchers do. Uh, by the way, he was a second-round pick, number 67 overall in 2018. I did not realize he got drafted that high. Um, so, I, I no, I don't think they're going to move on from Sandlin. I doubt they're going to move on from Eli Morgan. I could see them moving on from Karachek. So, no, no, my, I, Bob, I don't think your your suggestions are radical. I think they're very, very sane uh, suggestions. Uh, I, I tend to agree with a lot of what you're thinking there. It's going to be hard to find those outfielders, I think. I, I don't know who that answer is. Um, and is Valera one of them? That's, that's, that's a big question that we unfortunately didn't get to answer at all this season. It doesn't get a major league at bat this season. So, um it's something they're going to have to answer going into spring training, I guess. All right, so those are the emails from Bob. Uh, Marlin has a big reaction to this one. Uh, if base, if bad baseball were a crime, the Cleveland Guardians would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Anytime you squander a game in which the team hits three home runs and sees Miles Straw get two hits and reach base three times, they would deserve such a sentence. I think we're more likely to... Okay. I think we're more likely to see Bigfoot than for Straw to hit like this again. Uh, all right, Mar- Marlon is fired up. The pitching was an embarrassment tonight. We've talked about how anemic the offense has been all season, but no one expects them to keep pace in a home run derby, which saw both teams combine for seven home runs. 
Marlon had a few more thoughts about the injuries, but then says, hopefully the Guardians will win tomorrow, split the season series versus the Reds, and retain the Ohio Cup. This will be the last time Tito manages at home in Cleveland. Hopefully we'll see vintage Bieber, and they can win it for Tito. Yeah, I told you, I, I, I know everyone's writing their Tito articles right now, and please go read them. Uh, I know there's one on M- on uh, the Guardians page. I know Zach Meisel has one in The Athletic. Um, go check them out. Read the stories. We we will talk more Terry Francona and the legacy and the, what's going to happen with the manager position uh, moving into the offseason. Lastly, he says, Marlon says, I want to extend my condolences to the family, friends, and fans of Brooks Robinson, who passed away today. Um, also thoughts to the Orioles organization and their fans. He's a franchise icon who meant a great deal to them. It's a sad day, not just for Orioles fans, but for all fans of baseball growing up. He said, I would read any book about baseball that I could find and enjoyed reading about him during the game. Andre not mentioned what Robinson was that Robinson was teammates with Tito Francona, Terry's dad. Uh, yeah. And Terry Francona talked about that, uh, a little bit, I think in the post game, you know, uh, Brooks Robinson, it, it was before my time. Uh, he, uh, I pulled it up here somewhere. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he was an absolute legend for the Baltimore Orioles. And someone we don't hear about, don't talk about, you know, a lot in Cleveland. Uh, because he did. He played his whole career. He played 23 years in Baltimore. Starting in 1955 and going all the way to 1977. I mean, that is one heck of a career. Uh, I mean, for a streak from 1960 to 1974, he was an all-star every year. Uh, won an MVP in 1964. Uh, yeah, I just it's someone that we just don't didn't talk about a lot here in Cleveland and so I I don't have fond memories uh, of him unfortunately or anything like that but uh clearly seems to you know be someone who has a big impact on the game of baseball so uh yeah unfortunately uh you know won't be with us anymore so uh, I'm sure if you look you can find a lot of stories and articles about him and uh I'm sure there's a lot of people saying a lot of nice things about him out there so uh, thank you, Marlon, for all the detail, everything you bring to the podcast in your emails. That's going to wrap things up. Uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Only a few of these regular season uh, episodes left, but you know we will continue. If this is your first season with us, we will continue to do games, uh, uh, episodes. Sorry, we will continue to do episodes in the off season. It's going to be nowhere near as regular uh, as we are in season. So I tend to. I tend to do them once a month. Uh, maybe if the Guardians really start to make some moves, uh, I'll definitely have a podcast out. Like it's, it, it'll be there. If the Guardians are making moves, if they're signing someone, if they're trading someone, there will be a podcast to follow that up. Other than that, I tend to check in maybe once or twice a month uh, just to see how things are going in the offseason. Uh, see, uh, there's always something to talk about, right? But uh, I I, just, I go so hard at this during the season that uh, I need the offseason too. So uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final, it's the Reds 11, the Guardians 7. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. It seems to be Bob and Marlon who are going to finish out the season with me. But there's still time to get your emails in. Uh, so thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.